You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, uh, the second volume of a three-volume series uh, by Rudolf Steiner, entitled Esoteric Lessons, 1910-1912. to This is Part 9, the last part of the book. That goes from page 363 to 417. Translated by James Hines. Esoteric Lesson Given in Munich on September 20, 1912. Record A. Notes from Teresa Walter. Record B. Manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolf. Record C. Notes from Hendrika Hollenbach. Record D. Manuscript from Matilda Scholl. Record E. Notes from Margareta Morgenstern. Record A. It could appear that the current conflicts with the Theosophical society must necessarily cause special difficulties for the esoteric life. In view of what the external movement now makes necessary, and in light of how the present time actually drives us to criticism, many souls can ask themselves how this criticism is to be reconciled with the development of positivity, which is a fundamental esoteric exercise required of all. In the course of this lesson, we will discover how this is possible. The way in which the esoteric life is now cultivated was not possible in earlier times. It was not possible then for a large number of students to sit together as happens with us now. And it is precisely this kind of esoteric life of the present age against which various powers now battle. Above all, the esoteric life must be taken seriously and with dignity. We must be very clear about how incredibly important is the step from the exoteric life into the esoteric life. Exoteric life must gradually appear to an esotericist in an entirely different light. An example may help explain this. We can all remember back to childhood to a time in which we played as children and took this play seriously. Let us ask ourselves, if now as adults we wished to play with children, how would that take place? Certainly we could play with the children, perhaps even play better than they, because we could use our intellect for this purpose. But something essential would have to happen if we really wanted to be involved in the play. In order to do this, we would have to imagine ourselves into a different state of mind. The relationship between esotericists and external life is very similar to that between an adult and the play of a child. When esotericists leave their spiritual exercises and enter into external exoteric life, they will gradually learn to regard this external life as if they were adults who wanted to play with children. And just as adults must imagine themselves into another state of mind in order to play with children, so also do esotericists feel they must shift consciousness 
when transitioning into exoteric life. Esotericists do not become less capable, but rather more capable and competent in everyday life than was the case before entering into esotericism. Thus, the transition from exoteric to esoteric life represents a unique moment in a human being's life. Furthermore, the esoteric life cannot be taken seriously enough, nor can it be carried out with enough dignity. Let us consider esoteric life a little more closely. We well know that changes in our soul life appear as a result of the exercises we have received, such as are described in the lectures held in Munich, August 1912. These changes are of all kinds. Thus the passions that a human being had earlier become stronger. Old inclinations, drives and passions that we believed to have already overcome and set aside rise up again out of depths of soul and assert themselves again with vehemence. Or esotericists do something, indeed often, without even thinking about it, something that before the start of their esoteric training they would have been ashamed of or would not even have done. Furthermore, sympathies and antipathies toward personalities become stronger than before. Indeed, our entire soul life is powerfully stirred up. In short, people now begin to see how their souls are actually constituted. Only now do they acquire true self-knowledge. For this reason, self-control and energetic self-discipline are indispensable for esoteric students. The changes in one's soul life that appear after the start of an esoteric training, if it is carried through with patience and energy, could be something like the following. Experiences of a special sort do not necessarily have to appear immediately during or after the concentration exercises or meditation. It can certainly be the case that the exercises die away without anything special occurring and the students calmly pursue their exoteric activities. There is one thing esoteric students must bear in mind and be very clear about namely that the first experiences can be very subtle and delicate, so fine and subtle that they can be noticed only by paying great attention. It could happen, for example, that esotericists during everyday activities suddenly have as a thought that seems to simply spring forth from their thought life and apparently does not belong in their everyday life a thought that is concerned with their own being. If there is not sufficient attention present, then such a thought can flash past, unnoticed. What is important and necessary is that we become attentive enough in order to notice such thoughts that drop into our ordinary consciousness, and that in so doing we become aware that thoughts, it could also be grotesque thoughts, appear in our soul without our ordinary waking consciousness of self being involved. We then discover that something is living behind our ordinary self, something concerning which until now we have known nothing. We learn that behind this self something is active that weaves thoughts. 
as we direct our attention more and more toward these thoughts that drop into our ordinary consciousness, they will appear with increasing frequency until finally much later they can be experienced at will. Then students see as if through a door that this weaving is altogether always present, that what we are accustomed to call the thought body is constantly being woven. Without our being aware of it in our everyday life, work is constantly being done on our thought body. Every student will one day come to experience this, if he or she is only patient and works energetically. However, we will not come to such experiences if we stop with our exercises. Hindrances in the outer as well as the inner life can cause us to suspend our further work and stop our exercises. On the one hand, difficulties in our outer life can arise that oppose our esoteric life. On the other hand, hindrances can arise out of weakness and lethargy that prevent progress in esoteric work. If students allow such hindrances to determine that the path will not be followed, then the fruits of their previous work remain in them, but they cannot progress further. Proper cultivation of the esoteric life does not allow such weakness to arise because it is precisely solidity, constancy, steadfastness and patience that are more and more developed in the course of our esoteric striving. These traits prevent a resolve from being pushed aside or given up once it has been made. If students continue the exercises that are given to them energetically and patiently, if after the course of the meditation they abide in quiet calmness in which their consciousness is entirely empty and they patiently wait to see whether something wants to be revealed from the spiritual world, then such steadfast and patient work will eventually lead to experiences out of the spiritual world. In doing this, the soul constitution with which the student receives revelations from the spiritual world is very important. The student should answer every thought, every experience from supra-sensory realms with a feeling of gratitude toward the divine hierarchies. The student should always develop more of such feelings of gratitude and they should be increasingly intense. The upright cultivation of these feelings eases the entrance of the revelations and brings one forward. We must already be grateful that we are permitted to do such exercises. Students must inwardly place themselves in a mood of prayer that makes them ready to receive revelations from the spiritual world. If an experience offers itself from the spiritual world, then students must say to themselves and be clear about the fact that something was bestowed upon them through grace from the spiritual world. If in this mood we look at all that has flowed into our exoteric and esoteric theosophical life here in Middle Europe during the last ten years, then we must become aware with overwhelming clarity that an abundance of spiritual truths have been handed over to us in course of this time through the grace of the Masters.
and incredible spiritual wealth has been entrusted to us during this time. And it is difficult for many souls to take in and hold together all of what has been said, for example, concerning the four Gospels. Indeed, and I say this taking complete responsibility, many souls behave in a negative way toward this spiritual wealth or feel and even express a reluctance to accept it. Such behavior is understandable because we must admit that it is not easy to master these teachings. However, it is simply our task to achieve an increasingly encompassing understanding of Christ and to delve more and more deeply into the mystery of Golgotha. All the wisdom of ages past, all the prophecies of Krishna and Elijah have flowed into this understanding. For this reason, we must not slacken, but rather must pull ourselves together, willingly work together, learn and again and again learn. Page by page we must study a lecture cycle and struggle through to an understanding. We must not allow ourselves to fall away. Accordingly, our present difficult situation, seen esoterically, presents itself more or less as follows. It has often been pointed out, and we certainly know well enough, that the earth is a battleground for various powers. Recently in Munich, lecture cycle of August 1912, we saw and heard once again in what ways the Luciferic and Aramonic powers can take possession of human beings. They say to themselves, quote, There are lazy souls who do not want to cooperate with what has flowed down from spiritual worlds. We can start our work with these. We can catch these. Close quote. Thus these beings take possession of such souls and draw them away from the path by leading them into deception and error and making them into instruments of their opposition. Our path, however, if we work diligently and do not slacken, is the straight line from Krishna, unless we want to go further back, through Buddha, Elijah and John to Christ. We will be up to resisting the attacks of the adversarial powers, which are intended to stop esotericists in their striving. If we take the time, apply sufficient energy to our thinking, and make the effort to understand what is said concerning Christ and the event of Golgotha. But all those who slacken and do not want to come along fall prey to the attack of the adversarial powers. These are those who show up as opponents to our movement and produce resistance. For some years we have noticed their numbers growing. Now what esotericists must additionally cultivate in special measure is a feeling for the truth. Under no circumstances must anyone ever prevent us from speaking the truth freely and openly. Every attempt to bend the truth must again be atoned for in some t- at some time or another. It would be horrible if anyone were held back from speaking the truth because of the fundamental principle of brotherhood of the Theosophical Society, even if this truth is different from what is said by a personality who is revered by many. The advice of the Masters is for us to remain in the Theosophical Society, in which, of course, all opinions can be represented, This is a given 
but it is not permitted that something be spread concerning what we have said that is entirely different from what we actually said. This recently occurred in a theosophical periodical. Something like a caricature of what was really said appears there. It is easy and lazy in this way to say, quote, what is said in Germany is not right. Christianity is not properly explained there. Direct your view to the near future and wait until the great teacher appears. He will explain everything to you. Close quote. One can only respond to this by saying that if a great teacher is pointed out in this way, then he will certainly not come. It will be sufficient for an understanding of these phenomena to refer to the preconditions for the intervention of the Luciferic and Aramonic beings. We find these preconditions for the approach of these beings in the described behavior. And as a matter of fact, it is these enemy powers who have brought it about that something like what is described above can be said and is said in the Theosophical Society. They are the ones who stand behind such words. After we have recognized this, if we then with a heavy heart criticize in such a way that the love for this personality who is approaching us is not touched and is not diminished, then we will not go wrong even if this personality has no understanding for our criticism and feels it to be an attack. It does not matter. If it is possible for us to agree on this, then we do not allow the love for this personality to suffer from this, even if we tell the truth with a heavy heart. Then we stand upright and we will be able to overcome the difficulties that stand against us. Thus we have come to the point of understanding that if we hold together the exoteric and the esoteric and achieve an overview, this will result in a unity for us. We must attempt to achieve this overview in order to find a unity. Just as it is impossible to understand a symphony for someone who listens only to the individual tones and in this way finds at most tone arabesques, and just as someone will have a proper understanding for a symphony who grasps and feels the movement of the entire body of tone as a unity, so too we also know that we can nevertheless carry out and maintain our positivity exercises alongside the necessary exoteric criticism that is going on in our society if we can find the unified movement flowing through the events then we do not have to fear a weakening of our esoteric life if we take what has been said to heart. Rather, we can expect and hope for a strengthening. But we must be careful not to allow any feelings of antipathy to mix into our dreams or into our holy meditations. If this happens, then we must get them out. And we are learning to combine love and truth. Thus we can see from the present situation in the Theosophical Society how, behind everything in the sense world, there stands the supersensory. This, along with many other things, is contained in the verse of the Masters, quote, In the spirit lies the seed of my body, close quote. End of record A. Record B. With all that is going on at the moment in the external Theosophical movement, 
It is understandable if esotericists in the present time think their esoteric life could be thereby endangered. For all that we are now experiencing must indeed provoke criticism. And yet one of our most important exercises is positivity, that is our effort to see the positive, the good in everything. On the other hand, it should be said that esotericists must be clear about what is important here, how positivity is to be understood. I would like to discuss how an esotericist should altogether stand with respect to life. You will all be able to remember a time in your childhood when you played the games of childhood with full seriousness, when these games were all important. If now as adults you see children playing and actually play with them, you will immediately sense the difference in your feelings when you are now playing, compared with the games of your childhood. You will perhaps play better than the children, but that will be because you now stand above the game. You no longer invest all of your interest in it. Esotericists should relate themselves to everyday life in the same way that an adult is related to the games children play. The esoteric life should be the focus of earnestness and dignity in the souls of esotericists. They should always feel the limits clearly that separate them from their exoteric activities. Otherwise, they are not true esotericists. For this reason, they should carry out their exoteric deeds just as well as they did earlier. Indeed, they may well execute them better, but they should always carry them out as something that they stand above. They will gradually notice how the condition of their souls changes through their meditative life. If they do not notice, that is merely their fault, because they are not looking subtly enough in the right direction. Let us assume that an esotericist has carried out his morning meditation with true love, devotion, and energy. It was also possible for him to empty his mind thereafter, to open himself to the spiritual world. But he is forced to admit to himself that he has not experienced anything. Now it can happen that during the following exoteric activity, this can be as superficial as cleaning a room or folding laundry and so forth, he suddenly has the feeling that he should be aware of his own thoughts. He should look into himself. Unless he gives in to this feeling, he will overlook an opportunity to make progress. If he gives in to this feeling, he will notice that thoughts rush through his mind that sometimes are very beautiful, sometimes they will seem grotesque to him, very often, indeed usually, they will quickly disappear from his memory. What is important here is to sense that something is thinking within us, independent of our own intellectual thoughts something concerning which we can say, quote, it is not I that am thinking, but rather it is thinking in me. Close quote. Even if such thoughts mean little to us for the present, we can strengthen and nurture them through a feeling, through a feeling of gratitude toward the higher powers. Such moments can be as short as the twitch of an eye, it is sufficient for us to have noticed them. If after every moment of this kind we say, quote, I thank you, powers of the higher hierarchies, 
that you have allowed me to notice something like this. Close quote. Then, through this feeling of gratitude, of reverence, such moments will increase, moments in which higher worlds seek to reveal themselves to us. What in the beginning was dark and passed through our souls like dreams, we will be able to retain in our memory. Eventually, we will be able to voluntarily bring about such moments. Then it will gradually become clear to us that this thinking is always present in us, independent of our rational thought, independent of what approaches us from outside through life. For this reason, an esotericist can never say that external life hinders him or her from properly conducting an esoteric life. This always lies with us, with the mood that we create for ourselves. If we awaken in ourselves this feeling of gratitude, reverence and awe, a feeling that we could call a mood of prayer after every meditation, and become aware of the grace that we are receiving, if we feel the true beauty behind every enjoyment of nature, every glance of a rose, when hearing a symphony, then one day the spiritual worlds will open to us. Until now, it has never before in human evolution been possible for people to sit as you are here, next to each other, as an esoteric school. And the powers that set themselves against the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings, the Luciferic and the Aramonic, try to attack esotericists, especially on their weak sides. You will have noticed that before and during your meditation, your sympathies and antipathies that you bear for certain people appear with a special strength, that desires and passions that you might have been ashamed of in earlier times now appear to you as not at all unjustified, that such character traits that earlier, especially in well-brought-up people, came to light only slightly, that they are not set free with elemental might. There is only one means of fighting this, self-discipline. We will discuss these matters further on Sunday. Now we want to see if we can also apply what we heard to what is happening at the moment in the Theosophical Society. All that can now flow down out of the spiritual world with the permission of the Masters of Wisdom and Harmony of Feelings is such a wealth of wisdom and what is given to us in terms of explanations of the Gospels and the mystery of Golgotha is so deep and encompassing that a true esotericist must sacrifice much time, devotion, energy and strength if he or she wishes to take up everything and penetrate it with understanding. It is understandable that some have fallen away, for we must learn, learn and then learn again in order to penetrate into these depths. And it is a test of the soul when we think that we cannot go any further. Now, there are lazy souls who do not want to learn. These are mastered by Luciferic powers who whisper to them that they, instead of learning, instead of seeking the straight path, and it passes through unceasing study from, on the one hand, Krishna, and on the other, Elijah, through Buddha and Socrates to Christ, in order to find him, they should prefer to wait for a world teacher, 
who will give them with two hands what they need so that they do not need to exert themselves. In order not to fall into error, we must cultivate honesty as the highest, most holy good that we have. We must always cultivate truthfulness. Never make any concession that sins against the truth. It is horrible and has severe consequences if esotericists twist the truth for the sake of brotherhood, if, in order not to irritate someone, they darken the truth even in the least, for they also damage the person to whom they are speaking. And if with heavy heart we must see that a human being whom we perhaps love sins against the truth, then we must nevertheless remain with the truth we have recognized, no matter what consequences this might have for us. But there is one thing that we can do, and that should be the answer to the question posed at the beginning. Even if we must condemn the deeds of a person, we should never criticize the person him or herself, but rather love him or her. Whether or not we really love this person will be seen in the moments of our meditation. We should allow nothing of our sympathies and antipathies and our little worries to come over into the spiritual world. Then it will open for us and allow us to enter in the right way. The end of record B. Record C. It would be thinkable that many of us today might become confused since the esoteric theosophical life brings so many difficulties with it and so much negativity must be produced. Bracket, this refers to the Alcyon affair, uh, readers aside, the Krishnamurti affair, end of bracket. Well, otherwise the positive striving is stressed. Thus it could happen that some of us might not see clearly how we should respond to all this in our esoteric life. We must be conscious of the seriousness and the dignity of our esoteric striving. We can compare ourselves with adults who share with children their games. Children do everything with the greatest seriousness. They are completely lost in their games, while adults, although they may play much better than the children, experience everything from an entirely different point of view and are conscious that the game is something that does not touch their inner life. We must conduct our ordinary everyday actions. We must stand in ordinary life just as we stand as adults among children, even though this ordinary life is ever so important and significant and so much depends upon it. If we faithfully and constantly carry out our exercises and really attempt to abide entirely in a higher consciousness during the time that we are devoted to our exercises, then we will notice that transformations occur in our soul life. It can happen during our meditations or immediately afterward that we feel ourselves in touch with something that originates in higher worlds. But it could happen differently. It can also happen that we sense nothing during our meditations or even immediately after, during the serene calm that we have achieved at the end of our meditation, that nothing rises into our consciousness. But then, later, while we are going about our usual daily activities, 
It can happen that we suddenly feel the urge to divert our ordinary train of thought for a moment to think about ourselves. It can happen during the most ordinary activities, while moving a chair, for example, or when clearing the table, that we suddenly notice that within the brain a deeper life of thought shows itself behind our ordinary secular life of thought. For a brief passing moment, we are now suddenly in touch with this deeper life of thought. Such moments are very important, even if they are very short, especially in the beginning. If we could manage always to notice and retain these moments and to remain conscious of them, then we would reach the point where we can consciously come into contact with this deeper thought life when we want to. We feel that behind our ordinary everyday life it is always present. We then become aware of the weaving in our thought body, quote, it thinks in me, close quote, we can say, and that which is thought in us is revelation from the divine world. Now, we can also notice that in addition to the lofty and sublime thoughts that come to us, it can also happen that grotesque thoughts that do not fit with a mood of holiness arise within us. But when we realize that luciferic and aramonic beings also work in the spiritual world, this observation need not surprise us. However, in every case, we must attempt to become conscious of what streams to us from the spiritual world in this way. And an ongoing welling up, a rising up of feelings of gratitude to the spiritual beings who wish to establish contact with us in our thinking, should rise up within our soul. In doing this, we should call forth a mood of prayer that should become an ongoing attitude of soul within us. Those who arrive at such a consciousness will also notice that their sympathies and antipathies gradually become stronger. Something that in the past was only half-conscious is now strongly and clearly felt. It can happen that certain inclinations arise, even certain passions, but we are not ashamed of them and do not even attempt to hide them. They are simply there. What is now needed is self-discipline, genuine esoteric discipline. More will be said about this the next time. The only thing that can help us now in the Alcyon Krishnamurti crisis is to cultivate our esoteric life harmoniously despite the external disharmony, to stand on the ground of truth. The truth must be said, even if with a heavy heart. For it would be something horrible for our movement if we did not tell the full naked truth in order to spare a personality. That would mean we would be placing something personal above the truth. In order for us not to experience any dissonance in our higher striving, the following is necessary. It is necessary that nothing of the severity or sharpness with which we must address the personalities involved and concerning whom we must speak the truth, none of this severity must penetrate into our esoteric life, whether it be in our meditations or even in our dreams. The truth must be said even if it is with heavy heart, but all the more should love rule in our esoteric life. 
love to those whom we must criticize or rebuke in the exoteric life. This is what is positive, love toward the personality, even when in external life now the negative must predominate. All esotericists will have to stand before difficult tests. We cannot feel enough the seriousness of what it means to be a striving esotericist, for much is demanded of us. All that is given us from the spiritual world as grace, we should accept as the content of our instruction. This requires unceasing effort, study, a desire to learn constantly, to immerse and deepen oneself more and more in what is given. No sacrifice is too great for us, effort, time. We must employ everything at our disposal. But not all are capable of this. A certain feeling of inertia or laziness can arise, the wish, finally, to not have to learn anything more now. This is understandable. Yet the Luciferic spirits can intervene precisely here. They use this inertia in people. They bring these people, because of their fondness for comfort, to the point of no longer really wanting to study. So these people want only to look toward the coming world teacher, who will then, of course, bestow everything upon them. Thus the Luciferic beings work in this way against the good gods. But, to be sure, no world teacher will come to indulge the laziness of people. The truth should be spoken as sharply and clearly as possible, but love should rule in the hearts of people. None of the exoteric disharmony must be allowed to slip into our meditation. It must be totally excluded. The end of Record C. Record D. It may appear to many esotericists, especially in the present time, as if their progress in the esoteric life were hindered by all that now approaches them in terms of the negativity that must call forth criticism. Thus it appears. For esotericists know that one of their main exercises is positivity. So they ask themselves, how should I in such a time as this, the present, when so much negativity approaches me, carry out this exercise? But this should not be the worry of an esotericist, but rather, how can I form my esoteric striving into something serious and worthy? Imagine the time when you were a child and played childish games and that you now would again play with children when you have outgrown the age of children. You would play better than the children can play. You would place yourself right into the children's play. But with your present-day experience and soul constitution, you would be able to perform much better. It must be the same with esotericists when they take the step from exoteric life into esoteric life. They must regard exoteric life as something that no longer has the same significance as earlier. It must seem to them as if they are playing together with others, just as they might play with children. Esotericists can also work in exoteric life better than before. We should certainly rejoice in the external world. We should enjoy nature in its revelations. Nevertheless, our state of mind, our soul constitution, should be totally different if we have stood for a while in esoteric life. 
If esotericists have devoted themselves with complete earnestness, with full intensity to their meditations, then they will notice that a transformation of the soul has occurred, indeed must occur. But many do not notice this themselves and think they have made no progress. Spiritual worlds shine into every meditation and they can approach the meditator either during or immediately after the meditation. That is what occurs most frequently and should occur, but it does not always happen this way. And in the moments in which esotericists achieve complete quiet in their souls as is advised, and after meditation when they listen for the inflowing of spiritual worlds, they must often admit that they notice nothing of these spiritual worlds. However, if they continue working with patience, endurance, and with great effort, then spiritual worlds will approach them. The time comes for everyone who holds out. But there is something else that can be noticed, which enters in either immediately after the meditation or in the further course of the day. When we rise from our meditations in the morning and go to our usual daily activities, actions that are done every day, for example, moving a chair, entirely focused on our duties and so forth, then the moment can suddenly come. It may last no longer than the blink of an eye. It can happen that for a moment we think of ourselves, if only in passing. Then the thought is forgotten. This is very important for the development of the soul. In this moment we are not thinking through the brain that we are bound to in the usual life of thought, but rather our I, capital, thinks in us. We feel very clearly, quote, here it is, thinking in me, close quote. We feel our I body, our thought body. For this reason, we should pay attention to such moments, for spiritual knowledge can appear in them. And the more often they occur, the more fruitful they are. And it is precisely this rushing past and then quickly forgotten thought that is proper. Everything that comes to us with great clarity, for example, visions that cannot then be forgotten, do not come from good powers. Genuine, true experiences come in a modest way, if I may be permitted to use this term with respect to lofty, sublime beings. Devils also approach us, and they show us clear visions. Inherited, atavistic clairvoyance also appears in this way, but it is not what is right. However, in addition to lofty, sublime thoughts, ordinary, even grotesque thoughts appear in our mind. And especially with advanced esotericists, it can happen that their vices are expanded without their even being ashamed of them. They are present. They cannot drive them away. It is also entirely natural. They must be present because they are in them. Precisely in the most holy moments of meditation, desires and passions approach us of which we are not conscious in exoteric life, at least not in this strength. What helps here the most is esoteric self-discipline. We should practice being true in all the feelings of life. And we should also feel gratitude toward the great spiritual beings, the divine hierarchies. We should be thankful for everything that has been given to us through them, no matter how abstract it may seem, for everything that we think of as knowledge. 
We should feel reverence and gratitude toward these beings that allow wisdom to flow into us from higher worlds. These feelings constitute true piety and have an especially beneficial effect upon the development of our souls and, above all, enable us to master the enemies of the soul, desires and passions. After every meditation, we should devote ourselves to these feelings of gratitude. There have not always been times in which the spiritual life could flow as well as just now. Esoteric associations, such as we have gathered here today, have not always existed. The powers working against humanity want to prevent the spread of pure spiritual teachings and concepts. There are mighty beings at the forefront and they are busily at work. The fundamental preconditions for the purely spiritual esoteric life are truthfulness, studiousness and endurance. For this reason we must be truthful in every moment of our lives. It belongs to this that we not suppress the truth by not speaking up when a personality makes a mistake merely because it is this personality. We are not allowed to be silent about something that we can recognize as error, that we must recognize as error. This would amount to suppressing the truth. This would be appalling if we were to suppress the truth in this case. There is something else we must pay attention to. This is the studiousness and endurance of the student already mentioned above. It can happen that some souls become too casual, that they no longer wish to take in the higher truths. A great deal of very intense work is required in order to hear, understand and make our own the newest esoteric research concerning the mystery of Golgotha and what is said here concerning the Gospels, which relates to the mystery of Golgotha. Page after page must be studied in order to understand the great truths that come to us, truths reaching from Krishna to Elijah, in order then to unite in the Christ impulse, which we have discussed in exoteric lectures. Materialists and Bible critics are not our worst opponents, but rather those who were once working with us to spread the teachings of theosophy, but who have become remiss in the way I have indicated. Luciferic powers gain access to people when casualness and laziness reign over the spiritual life. Every esotericist should make a sacrifice. He or she should sacrifice love of comfort and ease and the time required to fully grasp what is our task to proclaim, the mystery of Golgotha. Beginning ten years ago, a spiritual impulse was given to Middle Europe that can lead to clairvoyant sight, and for this reason we must approach this task with complete dedication. We must not play like children. It would be abnormal if adults wanted to play with dolls or other children's toys. It is the same if esotericists do not take their meditations seriously enough after they have once decided to go down the esoteric path. It can happen that esotericists leave the path after they have followed it a while. This is often the result of external conditions. What they have worked to achieve remains with them. It is not lost. However, a true esotericist cannot ever leave the path again. 
What do the adversarial powers say to indolent souls such as we have described? Do they say, quote, work, so that you advance further, close quote? No. They say, quote, someone is coming who will give you everything. He will pour out all knowledge, all wisdom, close quote. If one waits for him impatiently, then he will certainly not come. If one observes entirely objectively what is now happening on the other side of this issue, one must say we cannot bring sympathy to meet what we have recognized as error on the physical plane. However, we are not permitted to bring feelings of sympathy and antipathy into our meditations. Every aspect of those feelings must be silent. Now in the Theosophical Society, in which, according to the judgment of the Masters of Wisdom and Harmony of Feelings, we will remain, we must still be members, it is often said that everyone is entitled to his or her opinion. That would be brotherly. Everyone can have his or her own opinion, but it is not brotherly to allow an error to persist. And one cannot remain silent when untruth is written in Theosophical periodicals precisely where we are to proclaim the truth as our mission. We cannot remain silent when that is dragged down and distorted into a caricature. It is still to be shown how we are to come to a feeling of positivity from all these events. We must feel love for those whom we must oppose outwardly. With a heavy heart, the Master must say what he has to say. But in doing so he has a feeling of love, even if it is not felt on the other side, where everything is even seen as an attack. In our esoteric life we must not suppress criticism, but learn to see situations and things objectively. These matters must be debated, but one must not become uncharitable toward one's opponents. The best love is to look at the truth objectively and to retain a warm feeling of love in one's heart. When we have developed in this way the feelings of love, of devotion to the spiritual worlds, courage to sacrifice and endurance, then we will increasingly grow into the spiritual worlds from which we originate. Then we will also increasingly come to understand the verse given to us by the Masters, In the Spirit lay the seed of my body. Close quote. End of record D. Record E. It could seem that the esoteric life is really thwarted in this critical time. It seems as if the spiritual beings who are opposed to the course of our evolution, our striving, always want to become stronger. However, this does not always have to be the case, and it is not the case with those who are striving properly. You will certainly have often had the experience that nothing of any kind of suprasensory impressions appears, despite your greatest efforts and devotion to the meditations, despite your greatest efforts to allow a period of calm afterward in which all thoughts of external life are stilled. Then you go about your everyday life, immerse yourself fully in the challenges of the day, and then it can happen that a thought suddenly appears fleetingly, like a dream that has nothing, nothing at all to do with the earthly activities that you are engaged in at the moment, like something suprasensory playing into your life. 
Quote, it is thinking itself in me. Close quote. This may be very brief and fleeting, and you can leave it unnoticed. But it is good and helpful for esotericists to pay attention to these opportunities in which something occurs like a weaving into their thought body, into their self-body or ego body. They should carefully, subtly pay attention and then send a feeling of gratitude up to the higher hierarchies. This feeling of gratitude, which we should constantly be developing more intensely within us, can be extraordinarily beneficial for us. Furthermore, every time it has been possible for us to carry out a meditation, we should nurture this feeling of gratitude and devotion, piety and inner intensity. This should be the basic mood for our meditations with respect to the spiritual world. If we learn to give increasing attention to the subtle appearance of thoughts in the middle of our everyday work, then these appearances will repeat more often. Our thought body, parenthesis, question mark in the German, close parenthesis, is then woven by spiritual beings more densely. We should remember our childhood and the childish games that we took so seriously back then. Let us imagine that for some particular reason we were placed in a situation to take up again these childish games and to play them with children. We would probably play the games better than the children, but we would probably not feel at home in this world of games. Thus an esotericist should be related to the external life in the same way. This step from exotericist to esotericist we can never take too seriously or overestimate the dignity involved. We should regard our everyday life and its daily tasks just as an adult regards the games of children. We feel and know that our true home lies in another world. We conduct all our daily business, but perhaps better than before. During our meditations we exclude the entirety of our external life, and with all external activities we feel that we are citizens of another world. Of course we will understand our task correctly only when we are simultaneously conscious of the fact that everything in the sensory world is the expression of something spiritual. For this reason we must not underestimate the sensory world, but rather value it properly. Above all, one thing must guide us, the love of truth. Nothing of our personal feelings should ever insinuate themselves into our meditation and concentration, not even in our dreams. And when we see that someone whom we love errs, this does not hinder us from loving his or her person more. But it must never ever happen that the truth is crucified out of brotherly love. For leaving another person in error is certainly not love. It is certainly true that in theosophy everyone is entitled to his or her own opinion. It is permitted to everyone, and everyone should have an opinion. But there is one thing that a person must not do, misinterpret, distort, or consciously bring forth an untruth concerning the opinions and views of another. A person must not be permitted to do this, 
as it happened a few weeks ago in a theosophical periodical. It was our mission and task, as commissioned by the spiritual powers that guide our movement, to awaken an understanding for the deep significance of the mystery of Golgotha, here in Middle Europe in our time. It is understandable if someone becomes indolent and no longer wants to obtain and study the insights and knowledge that flow from the spiritual world, but the reason for this lies in him or herself. We must sacrifice for our knowledge, sacrifice the effort of thought, sacrifice will forces, and also sacrifice time, for we cannot acquire knowledge on the fly. We must always learn, 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 so that we are always becoming better at making our own what was permitted to be said out of esoteric wisdom concerning the mystery of Golgotha, what has been said in a straight line from the beginning. Just this is our mission here in Middle Europe, to constantly move forward in our understanding of the mystery of Golgotha, where the forces of Elijah and Krishna have flowed together. If now we hear from the other side that hard work requiring great effort is not necessary for us to acquire knowledge of the Christ, because the world teacher is to come, that he will then strew around his wealth of wisdom, This is a concession to all those who are indolent and seek ease. This is allying with the adversarial elements of the spiritual world, which are opposed to the ascending path of human evolution. If we harbor such thoughts, then the world teacher will certainly not come. Even if in our meditations and exercises we sense no success for long, long periods of time, nevertheless, we should not become remiss but rather with much patience, endurance, and energy, we must strive, we must make ongoing efforts. The hour comes for everyone when he or she really sees. Quote, in the spirit lay the seed of my body, close quote, end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Basel on September 22nd, 1912. Record A, manuscript from Matilda Scholl. Record B, manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolf. Record C, notes from Hendrika Hollenbach. Record D, notes from Margareta Morgenstern. Record A. In the previous lesson, in the example of children playing, we have seen how esoteric students relate to the exoteric life after they have left the exoteric life for the esoteric how they now play better than the children themselves when they play the childish games again. They are better because, unlike the children, they do not relate to the game, but rather they relate themselves to the children. The game is not important, but rather the attitude of the adults and their relationship to the children. Thus it is also on the esoteric path. Here, esoteric students enter upon a different relationship to their environment. They look at it with different eyes than before. From a certain point of view, they have outgrown their surroundings, and yet they understand it better. We should not lose our interest for the things of the outer world. Through an esoteric schooling, it happens by itself that gradually we lose interest 
in what was of interest to us earlier. Human beings are such that they tend to like one person more than others. They are then, of course, more inclined to overlook or readily excuse the faults of those whom they like than they are to excuse the faults of those whom they find antipathetic. This inclination must be transformed by esotericists. Their relationship to their fellow human beings must become more impersonal. This should not take place overnight. Indeed, it would not even be right. It would thereby tear apart karmic connections. But very gradually, they must reach the point where they want to help those who are unsympathetic to them. In this way, of course, we come to see the faults of people, even those whom we love more clearly. But this does not damage anything, because it will be balanced out again through the esoteric training. Our soul constitution actually becomes different. Today we must look more closely at what happens to us in the moments when we allow our meditations to die away into the stillness. It is not the same thing for the spiritual world to play into our consciousness immediately after meditation or only later in daily life, as it is for so-called atavistic clairvoyance or clairaudience or a mirroring of visions. It is most valuable for our soul life if these incursions are very fleeting and are easily forgotten. The main thing for esotericists is to learn to observe these events, training themselves to pay attention to these fleeting bursts of light from the spiritual world. Through esotericism our thinking becomes finer, more spiritual, and independent from the brain. Let us consider for a moment how the concepts of space and time play a role in human feeling. In the spiritual world, space and time are maya. The moment can arise for esoteric students when, in the middle of exoteric life, they suddenly have the feeling that it is not they who are thinking in this moment, but rather that they are perceiving their thought body, how thoughts are weaving and working in their thoughts. They will have the intense feeling, quote, something is thinking, feeling willing, in me, close quote. This weaving and working is always present, but in our unconscious, only in very special moments does it come to our consciousness. This thinking must constantly become finer, more spiritual, and independent from the brain. The feeling must awaken in us more and more that something spiritual is thinking, feeling, and willing in us. Now someone could ask if this isn't a contradiction, when we are sometimes told that we should receive everything in full consciousness, and now we hear that in our subconscious life thoughts are at work, our I is at work. Such questions are an after-effect of brutal present-day logical thought. It is not only brutal to human beings, but also brutal to thinking itself. However, esotericists must learn to think subtly. They must become aware that in the esoteric life everything is transformed. In the life of the senses, we are conscious of three forces in our souls, feeling, thinking, and willing. We work with these three, 
sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul. Upon entering higher worlds, these three members of the soul become blurred, and yet they are separated. There appears to be a contradiction here also. But you must know that these three soul members are altogether never entirely separated, although each one appears to exist for itself. All that we have in terms of desires, drives and passions surges and wells up in the sentient soul. Now we must have one thing as a pole in opposition to our egoity. The powers that led the evolution of humanity in earlier times recognized this, and for this reason they placed fear into the human sentient soul. This is pointed out in the mystery play titled The Guardian of the Threshold. Human beings must have fear, otherwise they would approach everything in order to have it for themselves, and in ancient times their egoity would have become too strong. The ancient pedagogues were also aware of this, thus the telling of fairy tales and ghost stories constituted a factor in their education. Telling ghost stories to children is entirely excluded in modern pedagogy. However, to a certain extent, this is necessary for the souls of children, to the extent that astonishment and wonder are called forth in the child's soul, because reverence and awe for the unknown are developed from this. A child who is never told about the unknown and about greatness can never develop devotion in later life. An esotericist must consciously transform fear into reverence, religious feeling, piety, devotion, and the ability to sacrifice. Upon entering the spiritual world, fear must be transformed. For this reason, it is good to cultivate it on the physical plane. However, if the experience of fear in a human being is exaggerated and the I, ego, is not strong enough to prevent it, then not only the soul, but also the body is taken hold of. Then, for example, what we know as rabies can arise. This can always be attributed to a weak ego. When fear is combined with a weak ego, bodily forces are taken hold of. Thus the individual so afflicted is afraid of everything that is coherently joined together, as for example water, hydrophobia. They experience this quality of unconnectedness in water. This is an example of spiritual forces falsely influencing the soul and the body. The basic condition for the intellectual soul is cleverness, which so often is thwarted by compassion. It is peculiar that precisely in the intellectual soul these two poles stand opposite each other. The intellect is so often foiled and influenced by compassion. Through our conscious meditations we should achieve the ability to imagine ourselves into other beings. That is, imagine compassion with other people's joy and suffering as though it were our own. We must arrive at the feeling that we are all one unity, and we must learn to feel that space and time are something separated, as was said at the beginning. We can make this clear with an example. A mother will feel the pain of her child very differently when it is a baby in her lap or a two- or three-year-old, and then again entirely differently 
when the child is twenty years old. So, too, the pain of one's own child is felt differently than the pain of another's. A mother will feel the pain altogether differently than others would feel the pain because the mother and the child form a unity. Just as we are a piece of the unity of the spiritual world, And we see also that maya changes through time and space, and therefore the compassion felt in the soul changes. It will often happen that we feel an enormous blessedness with such compassion. Nevertheless, we must not give ourselves over to this mood. This should become the predominant feeling only when we are free of the body. Thus we should not feel it in the physical body, but rather in meditation, and then enjoy the incredible blessedness of working creatively on the world together with higher beings. This feeling of blessedness creates the greatest egotism. Therefore it is beneficial only through meditation. In our physical existence we should bear everything that our destiny brings us with calm composure and learn to feel as if none of this really concerns us ourselves. We should learn to accept everything with poised serenity, as if our body were foreign to us. In the same way we are to awaken a feeling in ourselves, not that we have been specially chosen to make progress, but rather we should rather rejoice in the progress others make as if it were our own. From the point of view of the world's evolution, it matters not at all who is making the progress. For us, the essential factor is the battle against and the transformation of egotism. One pole of the consciousness soul is the feeling that can disconnect at will. The opposite pole, however, which extends down from the spiritual world, is conscience. This feeling restrains us when we want to do things that are not in accordance with the moral laws. We must allow ourselves to be guided and led by our conscience and not according to the principles followed by a great statesman in his actions. It was said that he appears to allow himself to be led by his horse. Nevertheless, the statesman is doing the guiding as he wishes and gives them both the direction. We must be especially careful on the physical plane to develop our conscience in the proper way, for only what we have acquired can be taken into the spiritual world. But our conscience also is changed through our meditations. There is a step that is the most difficult for esotericists, quote, becoming conscience-less, close quote. However, here human beings must be especially highly advanced. Everything must be cleared out of their soul. Vanity, ambition, these are the worst forces in the soul and can always cause a person's downfall. They must be completely transformed. To be conscienceless is when we feel free from the body, only in the sense of higher self-knowledge. Then to feel ourselves as a center for the reception of truths from the spiritual world. We must learn to lead a double life, to have the feeling that we are carrying our body around like a piece of wood. Esotericists 
must learn to feel that their entire body is an organ for thinking, feeling, and willing. They must reach the point where they think not only with the brain, which is contained in the skull, but also with all the parts of the body, where, for example, their hands are a better organ for thinking than the brain. They must gradually spiritualize the physical world so that everything is for them only an instrument. They must become such that when they look at their hands, especially their etheric hands, they do not see them, just as they now see neither their brains nor their eyes. Example, the axe in the hand. Just as we feel an axe to be something external, so too our hands must be experienced by us as something external, something that does not belong to us. We must be the driving factor that directs the hand as an instrument with which we are working. Parenthesis, the hand must be the driving factor with which we work, must be the driving spiritual element, and everything must become a unity. Close parenthesis. Our work on ourselves must bring everything beyond the bodily aspect. Our work must spiritualize us so that we become like our archetype. Quote, in the spirit lay the seed of my body, close quote. End of record A. Record B. Once again, we would like to compare the behavior of an adult with respect to children's games to the behavior of an esotericist with respect to external life. Just as adults can play better than children because they approach the children's games with a different point of view, so also esotericists should, if possible, fulfill their daily tasks better because they allow the devotion and strength that their meditative life lends them to flow into those tasks. What do they acquire then through meditation? They draw their three soul forces together to a point, so to speak, and concentrate them on the spiritual worlds which then cause something to flow into each soul that is appropriate for that soul. The sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul become even more related and yet more separated when they are lifted into the spiritual world. This is an apparent contradiction, but esotericists must accustom themselves to a logic more subtle than the one we encounter in modern materialistic thinking for that modern logic is brutal. For example, according to the usual logic, one could say that in esoteric lessons we are always told that we must never set aside our consciousness, our clear thinking. Now, in the last lesson, we have heard that aside from this thinking, we should develop something within us that thinks independently of our conscious thinking. This could appear as a contradiction. But the people who criticize in this way forget that something like this can be developed only through meditation, that it is something entirely different from esotericists allowing thoughts and mental pictures unconsciously to rise up within them. The powers that guide the evolution of the earth cause something to flow into the sentient soul in which our drives, desires and passions surge something that is very healing for human beings and without which they could not arrive at a proper relationship to their surroundings. Without fear, 
human beings would feel that an informal relationship with all things higher is appropriate. They would want to carry earthly democracy into the spiritual world. If they place the I over and against fear in the proper way, they transform it into reverence, into the piety we discussed the last time, and they will handle this feeling in the right way. There is a special case in which it can become dangerous if the I or ego is extinguished in the sentient soul. This happens, for example, when human beings are afflicted by rabies. Then the feeling of fear grows into something monstrous and people feel terror for everything that does not immediately have an effect on their senses, for example, water. Thus the fear of water that so often appears in cases of rabies. Today people have an aversion to stimulating a fear of ghosts in children. In exaggerated amounts this is of course dangerous, but it is not damaging if children have a feeling that there is something weaving behind the world of invisible things. It is much more difficult for children to develop a feeling of reverence if they have never experienced this feeling through fairy tales. And adults' fear of children's fear of ghosts is really unnecessary. Something different flows from the spiritual world into the intellectual soul. We think in the intellectual soul, of course, but the powers that guide the evolution of the earth add compassion, empathy to this thinking. The forces that think in us and awaken the ability to feel what other beings are feeling are active in the same soul. For this reason we call it the intellectual or mind-soul, hence these two names. Esotericists should develop especially this feeling of compassion. Until now it has been absolutely colored by people's inclination toward and or against other people. If something happens to someone whom we love, we feel it more strongly than if it were to happen to someone whom we do not love. However, we should not only share the happiness or the suffering of someone else, but also we should merge, as it were, with the suffering or the happiness. We should feel them as our own. If someone cuts a finger, then we should be cut in the finger as well, so to speak. There is a danger here also. We must not allow compassion to degenerate into a kind of blissfulness in which we wallow. The gods who lead the earth's development have placed conscience into the consciousness soul. This is a force, indeed it is the only force that is allowed to and must restrain the human eye, the ego. It works differently in esotericists. It is said of a famous statesman that his decisions and mode of action guide him like his horse, but actually his horse goes where the statesman guides him. Esotericists acquire the power to guide their conscience, and here there is great danger that esotericists become conscienceless and guide the horse, so to speak, wherever they wish. Our passions play a fateful role. If we allow ambition and vanity, these sticky companions of human evolution, to rise in us, they can have a very deleterious effect. They accompany the human being all the way up into the spiritual world. In order to strengthen our sense of community, 
Every one of us should send the following thought into the spiritual world every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Quote, In the spirit of humanity, I feel myself united with all esotericists. Close quote. The end of record B. Record C. We must take seriously the comparison of the relationship of esotericists to their surroundings with that of adults to children in whose games they participate. Adults will not have a relationship to the toys such as exists for the children. Rather, they will much more have a relationship to the children themselves. It is their interest in the children that brings them to the game. This must also be the case for esotericists. Their interest in their fellow human beings must bring it about that in ordinary life they do everything as well and exactly as possible, although their motive is different from that of exotericists. We have pointed out that consciousness of a second life of thought in us will arise for those who practice their meditations earnestly. This is not a subconscious life of thought, because it is called forth by conscious exercise. That is, through the fact that a human being wants to become conscious of him or herself. We also said that this second consciousness is difficult to maintain in the first one, that everything that it brings us rushes past, in quotes. What is given us by the gods announces itself with modesty, whereas we must distrust that which comes to us in enduring visions. What is based upon atavistic vision can have a compulsory feeling accompanying it, But when we are prepared in the right way, what is given us by the gods never has this compelling character. It is always something fleeting and difficult to retain. We must become accustomed to a certain kind of subtlety in our thinking. We receive impressions through the sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul. Fear is mixed in with our sentient soul. Without fear, there would be no piety. With brutal egotism, we would immediately want to become familiar with everything. What holds us back? What allows us to still have a sense for holiness and recognize holiness in things or beings that we should hold ourselves back from is a certain nuance of fear. This is good. And in our higher consciousness is increasingly transformed into awe piety, humility, and reverence. The pole opposite to fear is the feeling for oneself, for the I, which we should not lose. The ability to share joy and suffering, compassion, is what is mixed in with the intellectual soul. Therefore, it has two names, intellectual soul and mind soul. In a higher consciousness, compassion with another means becoming one with the other. One no longer feels with, one is the other being. This pouring out of one's feelings in a higher consciousness has something about it that makes us feel blessed. We feel our own being spread out entirely in an all-encompassing being who feels compassion and joy with all beings. However, this can become a danger for our usual exoteric life. For the experience of this blessedness 
can also become a higher kind of egotism. Thus, in the usual life of the intellect, a calm insight must form a balancing pole for compassion. Our conscience lies in the consciousness soul. However, when entering a higher life, our conscience becomes such that we ourselves can determine the way in which it speaks, so that we do indeed follow it, but actually we are determining the path. If the moral feeling is not strongly enough schooled and developed in ordinary life, a lack of conscience can develop. For this reason we must stand firmly with respect to fundamental moral principles in our ordinary life, because conscience in higher worlds follows the will of the human being and is determined by the will of the human being. This lack of conscience must be balanced by an opposite pole, which is a certain feeling of solidarity with all humanity. Our own personal and bodily well-being will become less and less important. Our body becomes as a kind of toy with which, as an adult, we play among children in life in order to be of use to our fellow human beings. But our astral body must also assume this role. Our own wishes, inclinations, sympathies and antipathies should no longer appear important to us. We must learn to have a feeling of solidarity with all of humanity. Even if someone is not sympathetic to us, we must want to help with the greatest love, indeed perhaps with even more love than if we felt sympathy for the person. In light of this, our own progress must no longer appear very important to us. We must, of course, do all we can to advance, but we must feel that it is entirely a matter of indifference for the evolution of humanity, whether we have this or that specific ability. We must be able to rejoice over the progress of others, as much as we would rejoice over our own progress. Only when we regard our bodies as something belonging to the external world will we be able to think with the entire body. As long as it is the case that we see the body as something that belongs to us, just so long will we be unable to use it as an instrument of knowledge. We must actually come to the point that, for example, we do not see our hand anymore at all. Only then will it become the organ of thought that it can be. Thus we must more and more feel ourselves to be one with all of humanity and regard the body as a toy that we make use of in life in order to help our fellow human beings. The end of Record C. Record D. The day before yesterday we spoke of how we should relate ourselves to external life the way adults do to the games of children. An adult will play better than a child out of love for the children, not for the toy. We must not think that the life of an ascetic monk would be the ideal that we should strive for. We should faithfully fulfill our daily obligations and only in our meditations raise ourselves up entirely out of the everyday. The first thing that we will experience as success in our meditations is a more subtle way of thinking. Materialistic thinking is brutal. We should pay attention to the weaving of our thoughts, to the, quote, it is thinking in me, close quote, when it flashes up in our consciousness without any effort from our own, quote, I thoughts, close quote.
Now, someone could say that this is a contradiction, that on the one hand I should pay attention and increase this unconscious weaving of thought within me, and on the other hand I should constantly become more conscious of my thinking. But such an objection only shows that it does not yet originate from subtle esoteric thinking. One must always pay attention to exactly what is said. What is meant is that when we meditate, these thoughts will find their way in as a result of meditation. A flashing up of thoughts in our exoteric life is not meant here. Divine powers insert themselves in this way chastely, we could say modestly. So-called atavistic inherited clairvoyance of exotericists is much less valuable. The devil reveals himself there in a turbulent way with powerful vivid images. God reveals himself to esotericists in a delicate, modest, dreamlike way. As we ascend into spiritual worlds, we want to experience ourselves more and more as threefold. The three elements are sentient soul, intellectual soul, and consciousness soul. Here, too, there is an apparent contradiction. On the one hand, the three work more closely together, interweaving one another, while on the other hand, there is an intense isolation of each individual soul force. Fear is something that must be present in the sentient soul if we are ever to arrive at true reverence, devotion and piety, which we are to develop in the face of spiritual powers. When we love a rose or a human being, then there is always some fear mixed in with the feeling of love. We do not wish to step too closely to the other, we need to maintain a certain distance with respect to them, a distance from what lies in them. It is foolish for modern materialistic educators, for example, to want to eliminate entirely any fear of ghosts from the life of a child. This fear of ghosts is wrong. It is good for children to have a foreshadowing of the unknown. This prepares the ground for reverence. Of course, this must never be done in an exaggerated fashion. It must never go so far that fear gets the upper hand and the ego loses its hold on the sentient soul. In the spiritual realm, madness appears, while in the physical it is, for example, rabies which appears with hydrophobia because all that is matter-like is then experienced as unpleasant. Compassion appears in the intellectual or mind-soul, hence its double name. Compassion is very often fought by the intellect, and vice versa. An esotericist will constantly be developing more compassion, love for the entire world, and a joyful readiness to sacrifice. One wants to help, also to help especially those people that are unsympathetic to one. Not only should we feel joy with others, not only suffer with them, we should ourselves be the joy ourselves be the suffering. Then blessedness is experienced in the intellectual soul. The more bodily suffering and soul pain there is, the greater is the blessedness in the intellectual soul. Conscience enters the consciousness soul. We are to develop it here on the physical plane where it can be developed. It has been said of a statesman that he only follows his horses but they lead him wherever he wants to go. Thus it is with conscience. In the condition in which we are freed from the body, 
which we must achieve in order to live in the spiritual world, we must give our conscience its direction. Therefore, we need to have given it a proper direction here in the physical world. Esotericists must always watch over themselves, over what wants to get the upper hand within them. In this way, from a lack of conscience, a higher conscience comes into the consciousness soul in the spiritual world. When we experience ourselves in the consciousness soul, we come to the feeling of being united with all of humanity. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Berlin on November 8, 1912. Record A, anonymous manuscript from the Freda collection. Record B, manuscript from Barbara Wolf. Record C, manuscript from Louis Classon. Record D, notes from Hendrika Hollenbach. Record E, notes from Günther Wagner. Record A. Even after long practice, many will have the feeling that they have not come any further in their experience of the spiritual world. Nevertheless, this can be due to an error. It can happen that we notice nothing during meditation, but afterward, when we turn to our usual daily activities, it are not entirely lost in external work. It can happen that we suddenly have the feeling that now something is thinking in us. It can also happen often that we think that we have fallen asleep during our retrospective recollection of the day's events, but when we are again awake and attempt to remember what was going on within us during the time when we thought we were asleep, we will often discover that the retrospection was continued. It is very important to feel this. This is not a contradiction to what has always been said, that we must not attribute any value to what happens within our wakeful I without the presence of our conscious self. This is because when we recall it through our memory, we embody it precisely into our I, our self. Those who have had such experiences can be permeated in special moments by the consciousness, quote, it thinks, close quote. It is not I who think, but rather it thinks. Indeed, it is thinking me. This is esoterically the same thing that is expressed exoterically in the words, quote, in your thinking live the thoughts of the world, close quote. We can permeate ourselves with this thought, it is thinking in me, every moment, even if only for seconds, when we are free in our daily life. We can permeate ourselves with the thought that the thoughts of the world, through their thinking, have created what otherwise appears to me as I, capital. But this thought must never appear without being accompanied by a certain feeling. People who stand in the world think that it is acceptable to think everything. Esotericists know that there are certain thoughts that we are not permitted to think unless they are accompanied by a corresponding feeling. The feeling or sensation that should accompany it is thinking in me is that of reverence, piety or religious feeling. Only when we connect this feeling with that thought do we think the thought in the right way. Esotericists should see it as their greatest sin for them to have the thought it is thinking in me without a feeling of piety. Then a different consciousness can arise in esotericists 
that is connected with the words, quote, In your will, beings of the world are working. Close quote. This can be changed in them to the thought, It is weaving me. It works me. It creates me. How all the forces streamed together in order to bring about the human being. How the human being is put together out of the past and the future. All this lies in the words, quote, It creates me. Close quote. But here too the thought must never be thought without being accompanied by a certain feeling. The feeling of reverence for the beings who create the human being. What we have made out of ourselves through our karma collides with what the higher beings created. Human beings must never forget that whatever happens to them, they themselves have brought it about, just as they are the ones who close a door. These are mighty mantras, it thinks me and it creates me. Those who are most advanced on the esoteric path were those who were able to unceasingly penetrate themselves the most with these words, it thinks me and it creates me, both always accompanied by the corresponding feelings. Those who have practiced for years, it creates me, will themselves receive something like a gift so that they will simultaneously feel the spiritual forces that are connected, for example, with rain, the forces that create the rain and work in the rain. Whenever external circumstances cause the words to be spoken, quote, it is raining, close quote. There is yet another feeling that comes to those who develop themselves in this way, a feeling that is connected with the third, quote, in your feeling, World forces are weaving. Close quote. This is the feeling, it weaves me. And indeed, in doing so, we feel that just as the thoughts of the world think, so also the self, thus the higher self, is being woven by these forces of the world. For this reason, the feeling that should always be associated with this thought is gratitude. It is possible that the meditation of these words, it thinks me, it weaves me, it creates me, parenthesis, that is, it works in me to bring me about, close parenthesis, combined with the feelings of piety, gratitude and reverence, can replace all other meditations altogether and by themselves can lead one into the spiritual world. Parenthesis, however, one must never think all three simultaneously together, rather one after another. Close parenthesis. Nevertheless, we are given a great help through what we receive from theosophy if we study what is said there concerning the Saturn, Sun, and Moon conditions. For then we can understand what the it is in it thinks me. Theosophy, anthroposophy, is this it. Theosophy is the world thoughts, which have thought me as, in quotes, self. This casts yet another light upon our verse and the feelings that we should cultivate in conjunction with it. We are not always capable of these feelings of piety, gratitude or confidence, and reverence, which should accompany ex deo nasimur, in Christo morimur, 
per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. But we are using it in the right way, only when we combine these feelings with the verse. The end of record A. Record B. The experiences of an esotericist usually appear in a very subtle form. Therefore, the greatest attention to the processes unfolding in one's soul is required. When the meditation is over, the meditators should drop it and make their consciousness, their souls, entirely empty and wait quietly to see if anything, a message, some knowledge from the spiritual world, is being imparted to them. Then it can happen, often while engaged in entirely trivial activities of the day, when washing or getting dressed, that a feeling appears, such as, quote, What was that? That just happened. Was that a dream? That wasn't me. Close quote. Esotericists must learn to pay attention to such moments, to sense that there is something present in such moments that is outside or beyond the being and self that is known to them. In life we often say, quote, I am thinking, close quote. Esotericists should learn to feel, quote, it is thinking me, close quote. It, the great powerful it, they should learn to understand. This is stated exoterically in the mystery drama titled The Guardian of the Threshold. Quote, in your thinking the thoughts of the world are living, close quote, is expressed esoterically as, quote, it is thinking in me, close quote. It, the great, powerful, spiritual, divine, it is thinking in me. Just as soon as esotericists have this thought, it thinks me, pass through their soul, the feeling that we associate with the word piety should rise within them. There is no greater sin, an esotericist must be aware of this, than to think the sentence, it thinks me, without simultaneously having the feeling of piety awaken within. The second sentence is, it creates me. Parenthesis, that is, it works in me to bring me about. Close parenthesis. Exoterically, this is, quote, in your will is working the beings of the world. Close quote. When speaking this sentence, an esotericist should call up the feeling of reverence. Parenthesis, as obvious as it is that a fly flying against the eye belongs together with the defensive blink in response to the fly, just as obvious should it be that this sentence belongs together with the corresponding feeling. Close parenthesis. The third sentence is, It weaves me, exoterically. Quote, in your feeling, the forces of the world are weaving. Close quote. Esotericists are to feel the self as a part of divine spiritual worlds, the self which is, of course, nothing more than something woven out of thoughts. A feeling of deepest, most intensive gratitude is to rise up within this. It weaves me. Altogether, the soul of an esotericist should be filled with gratitude toward everything spiritual divine, and to a special extent when thinking this sentence, it weaves me. Those who might have nothing more than this exercise and who continually carry it out could, with its help, grow into the spiritual world in large measure. It is an exercise that everyone can do, even those who are busiest of all. Every free moment can be used for this purpose. 
For example, when closing a door, we can have one of these sentences pass through our soul with the feeling appropriate to it. But of course, always one thought only, not all three simultaneously at once. The study of theosophy must join these exercises. There we discover everything about the earth and the being of human beings, how they have evolved through Saturn's sun and moon evolutions. There we discover how we came about and were made into what we now are. With gratitude we observe the wonderful structure of the physical human body, which is the most perfect in all of creation. Thus esotericists must learn to feel what they have become without their own doing and what the hierarchies have created for the human being without the human beings having done anything on his or her own. And added to this, they must learn to feel what they themselves have done so that they have become precisely what they are today. Thus, they can understand karma. Thus, these three sentences lead to a true understanding of our main verse, Ex Deo Nasimur, in Christo Morimur, per Spiritum Sanctum Revivissimus. We awaken in the morning and become conscious again of our physical body, which we have received from the Spirit of the Father, Ex Deo Nasimur. Thus, we should awaken in the spiritual world after our death into what Christ, through the mystery of Golgotha, has brought about for the spiritual world, in Christo Morimur. Parenthesis, don't speak the name out loud. Close parenthesis. Then from this follows the Per Spiritum Sanctum Revivissimus, the resurrection in the Holy Spirit of Christ. A human being who is not clairvoyant is unconscious before awakening. But a clairvoyant will never wake up without having previously prayed, quote, Thank you, spiritual divine worlds, that once again I am permitted to descend into the temple of my physical body. Close quote. The Bible has a saying that is spoken twice, and it means something different depending on upon what kind of being is speaking it. Lucifer once said, quote, You shall be as gods. Close quote. That was not a blessing. The other time Christ said, quote, You shall be as gods. Close quote. End of record B. Record C. In the course of our esoteric life, after meditating or between our daily activities, we should always see to it that we create a tranquil state in our soul. Then we will one day experience how something can stream into our soul out of the spiritual world, that we are not ourselves thinking, but rather, quote, it is thinking in me, close quote. We will also find, while doing our retrospection in the evening, before it is ended, if we awaken a little while later, we find that we have continued our retrospection. That is, something is going on in our soul in which our consciousness is not participating. Our understanding of a certain passage from titled The Guardian of the Threshold must constantly be deepened. Quote, in your thinking the thoughts of the world are living. In your feeling the powers of the world are weaving. In your will the beings of the world are at work. Close quote. That is the exoteric version of three occult mantras which can advance us in a very special way on the esoteric path. The first is, it thinks me. However, it is not enough to have only these words live in our souls. 
Esotericists must strictly forbid themselves from allowing this thought into their souls without at the same time permeating their souls with a feeling of piety. The second is, it creates me. Parenthesis, that is, it works in me to bring me about. Close parenthesis. This sentence must be experienced in such a way that we have the feeling that world beings are working from all sides, radiating inward into us and creating us. Then we hinder what they are doing with what we ourselves have created as our karma. It creates me. We are allowed to think only with a feeling of great reverence. The third is, it weaves me. This sentence must always be connected with a feeling of deepest gratitude. These three sentences will help us to advance if we allow them to live in us in moments of calmness that we have created for ourselves in the course of the day. In the same way, we should experience our central verse, Ex Deo Nasimur, in Christo Morimur, per Spiritum Sanctum Redivissimus, or the verse of explanation given to us by the Masters, quote, In the Spirit lay the seed of my body, close quote. End of Record C. Record D. That it sometimes seems to us that we are not advancing is often due to the fact that we are not attentive enough. We must always make our souls entirely peaceful and empty after our meditations to attempt to catch what is coming to us from higher worlds. But it can also happen that nothing is revealed to us in such moments. But later in the day, while getting dressed or washing after our exercises, can suddenly happen that something passes through us and we know that something is coming to us in a way that is different from our usual experience. We can feel it in such a way that we say, It is thinking in me. And this feeling of our own selves as if we were being thought by divine beings around us must always be accompanied by a strong feeling of piety. This leaving out of our own selves and feeling ourselves in piety as a thought of divine beings can bring us very, very far in our esoteric life. In every free moment we can raise ourselves to this mantric verse, quote, it thinks in me, close quote, which represents the esoteric form of, quote, in my thinking the thoughts of the world are living, close quote. But this thought must never be in us without, at the same time, the presence of the feeling that belongs with it, deep piety. In the same way, we can then learn to feel the esoteric form of, quote, in my will the beings of the world are working. Close quote. In the mantra, quote, it creates me. Close quote. Parenthesis, that is, it works in me to bring me about. Close parenthesis. We can feel ourselves as created by higher beings whose work streams together in us from all sides. Conflicting with those streams, we can feel our own karma, what we have made out of ourselves. A strong feeling of awe and reverence is created in us when we can really experience ourselves in the verse, It creates me. Parenthesis, that is, it works in me to bring me about. Close parenthesis. The consciousness it creates me must always be by itself produce this mood of reverence. And finally, we will be able to notice yet a third sentence, 
the esoteric form of, quote, in my feeling, the powers of the world are weaving, close quote. It is weaving me. And this thought of ourselves being woven by the powers of the world must go together with a feeling of great gratitude. Through these three mantric sentences, it is thinking me, it creates me, it is weaving me. The spiritual worlds can be open to us. If we allow them to work on us again and again in connection with the feelings that belong to them. But we must also take up everything that is given to us in theosophical teachings. And if we ask ourselves what the theosophical teachings are, then we can say they are, in quotes, it, because they are the thoughts of the world, and they form us also. And if we can experience all of this within ourselves always, this being torn loose from ourselves, in order to feel ourselves in the spiritual beings that form us, then we will understand more and more the words ex Deo nascimur, in Christo morimur. And in particularly graced moments, we will also know in a hope-filled fashion per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. When we can experience our verse in this way, then we can know that moments of great grace have been bestowed upon us. End of Record D. Record E. Number one, it is thinking me in a pious mood. Number two, it is weaving me in a mood of gratitude. Number three, it creates me in a mood of reverence in consideration of the fact that the karma we prepare ourselves opposes the true destiny, divine will. Exoterically, number one, quote, in your thinking the thoughts of the world are living. Close quote. Number two, quote, in your feeling the powers of the world are weaving. Close quote. Number three, quote, in your willing the powers of the world are at work. Close quote. The end of record E, and that is the end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Hanover, November 19th, 1912. Notes from Günther Wagner. Those who join an esoteric school strive, of course, to get to higher worlds. But most of these people imagine the events that then occur differently than they frequently show themselves. Many regard the visionary life as most desirable, and indeed it must also come about. However, a visionary life is not what is most important. A certain constitution of soul is most important. Just as soon as an esoteric training has begun, the human soul is transformed by the influence of the exercises that are given to the student according to his or her individuality. And now it is a most important thing to observe exactly how such soul constitutions are affected in the finest and most subtle ways. It has often been remarked how after meditation a meditator must allow total calmness to prevail in his or her soul. At first a meditation plays into the soul like a tone that slowly echoes away. Then this too must disappear from the meditator's mind. In order to receive the spiritual world, the human mind must become entirely completely empty. We must practice this with patience and endurance. We must remain calm and still, even if we do not experience anything for a long time. We must be happy even to have achieved this calm. 
without at first recognizing it in such moments, which are most fruitful for our development, we can experience something. We can have the feeling, now I have experienced something. It can appear to be only a dream. But experiences can come to an esotericist in yet other forms. After we have gotten up in the morning and turned to our everyday activities, it can happen that we suddenly have the feeling, now I have experienced something. We should pay the greatest attention to these moments, because after a while another feeling will be added. We feel, quote, you yourself did not think this thought. Close quote. It just rushed past, was immediately forgotten again, but it was there, we experienced it. Such an experience is very important. We should direct our attention toward it more and more. For in this moment, we ourselves did not think. Our ordinary I did not think. Rather, that which did the thinking was the divine thought that goes through all times and eternity. It is thinking me. The great world thinking is thinking me. This is expressed exoterically entitled The Guardian of the Threshold as, quote, In your thinking the thoughts of the world are thinking. Close quote. Esoterically we say it is thinking me. Allowing this mantric verse to pass through your mind repeatedly brings about a boundless strengthening for the soul. We can do this immediately after meditation or in the course of the day, in every hour of leisure, wherever we may stand or go. But we must not allow these words to pass through our minds as a simple sentence. Rather, we must fill our souls entirely with them and, at the same time, have a feeling of the deepest piety. Esotericists should make it a matter of duty never to say, it is thinking me, merely as a sentence. Now there is a second sentence that we can apply in the same way. Here we must look back at ourselves for a moment. When it comes to the blows of destiny that befall us, most people think about why it is that this particular event happened to them. An esotericist should always have the thought of reincarnation close at hand. We are, as a matter of fact, responsible for all that befalls us. If we allow this thought to live in us, then we will gradually be able to grasp karma. We will become conscious of the connections that exist between us and the divine spiritual world and how our destiny, our karma, is created out of this unconscious background. Here is the second mantric sentence that should live in our souls in the same way as the first one. It creates me. Parenthesis, it works in me to bring me into existence. Close parenthesis. Expressed exoterically, it is, quote, the beings of the world work in your will. Close quote. When allowing these thoughts to pass through our minds, we should at the same time be feeling the most holy awe and reverence the deepest devotion. There is still a third sentence. If we allow this one also to work in us, then we can also gradually reach the point where we feel the weaving of the divine hierarchies of the higher worlds in our soul body. Parenthesis titled The Soul's Probation First Scene, Capacious. Close parenthesis. 
It is weaving me. This is the content of the third mantric sentence that we should allow to work in our soul in the same way as the first two sentences. With this sentence we should be feeling the greatest gratitude toward the lofty great spiritual beings. The sentence is expressed exoterically as quote, in your feeling the powers of the world are weaving. Close quote. For example, in the meditation, quote, I rest in the divinity of the world, close quote. we are not to feel our personal I, but the divine I. Of course, we cannot exclude the word I, but we should feel the higher expanded I. The personal self with which we live in our physical body must end with death and pass over into our higher self. It dies into world I, the world self, in Christo Mortimer. There is yet another feeling we should have, the feeling of powerlessness, powerlessness with respect to the divine spiritual world. We ourselves are not able to maintain our physical bodies through the night during sleep. We cannot prevent them from falling apart. We come from spiritual worlds from which we originated back into our physical body again upon awakening. Spiritual forces maintain and form us ex Deo Nasimur, in parentheses, Father Principle. In order to experience ex Deo Nasimur in the right way, we must fill ourselves with the thought that all that we are in thinking, feeling and willing is given to us by God. He thinks in us, weaves in us and works in us. We are born from Him, ex Deo Nasimur. During our lives, through the incarnations, we have darkened this divine soul being. We have surrounded ourselves with a world of visions that come from our own being, not from the divine beings of our origin. By means of esotericism, we must reach the point that when we pass through the portal of death into the spiritual world, we have freed our own divine essential core from this darkness that has enveloped our entire being as a visionary cloud. When we have achieved this, after death we find union with the spiritual being who flows through and permeates our cosmos, the Christ. We die into Christ, in Christo Morimor. And in so doing, we receive the possibility of absorbing the pure cosmic forces that we need for the formation of a purer bodily nature for our next incarnation. Our body is given to us from the forces of nature. We absorb these forces of the Father God into our being. We have come to the Father through the Christ. Quote, the Father and I are one, close quote. Quote, no one comes to the Father except through me. Close quote. The connection to the spiritual world that we can find already in the physical world through our connection to esotericism helps us to go this path. Thus we can take into our minds and into our morality the spiritual stream that flows to us from the spiritual world. And this is the Holy Spirit, per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. It thinks me the descent of the spiritual archetype from the forces of the Father, which are found behind the zodiac. 
it creates me. Dying into the etheric body of Christ, who encompasses the zodiac and the bracket incomplete in the German text, close bracket, it weaves me. Receive the new that is given us through Christ from the forces of the Father. The same as in the exercise, I am, it thinks, she feels, he wills. Explanation of the various meditation exercises. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Munich on November 28, 1912. Manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolfe. On the basis of esoteric experiences, it is incumbent upon me now to discuss the progress that we make through our exercises. There will be many who carry out their meditations correctly, who also can produce the proper calm after the meditation, so that visions can enter their soul as a result of those meditations. Many people will do this for years and will perhaps have the feeling that they are at exactly the same place now as when they started, and yet this is not the case. It must be said that a chief reason for this is found in the amount of attention applied to their soul life. This soul life is so delicately intimate that the attention required to perceive everything must also be very sharp. After meditating as conscientiously and well as we can, we enter into our usual daily life, for example washing and dressing, and our consciousness is devoted to these activities. Then it can happen that we suddenly have the feeling, I have just carried out my activities in an entirely mechanical way. My thoughts were elsewhere. And if we reflect back to what our thoughts were doing, then we can get at the same kind of feeling that we have with a gentle dream, as if we ourselves were not thinking, as if what passed through our minds had been doing the thinking. When we observe such occurrences, we increasingly get the feeling that something is happening in us, to which we could apply the mantric words, It is thinking me. If we think or say these words to ourselves at every opportunity in everyday life, we will become aware that they help us, they further us in our soul life. But there is one thing to which we must strictly adhere when we say these words, even if we only think them. A feeling of piety will arise within us. We must attach this feeling to these words every time we say or think them. It would be wrong for someone not to say the words altogether in order not to say them with the wrong mood of soul. Rather, the union of reverence with these words must simply be practiced. We then get the feeling that what is thinking in us is related to the I, the self, that the lofty beings who created us are thinking in us. This should become clear to exotericists in the words of the mystery drama, quote, in your thinking, the thoughts of the world are weaving. Close quote. For an esotericist, this idea is expressed in the mantra, It is thinking me. A second mantric expression that can help us when properly applied is, It creates me. Parenthesis, it is at work in me to create me. Close parenthesis. 
We know that all the hierarchies work in and through us, that we would be nothing without them. For this reason, it is good for us to become increasingly clear about the fact that we are entirely their work. And this lies in the mantric words, It creates me. It is at work in me to create me. We should think and speak these words with a feeling of holy devotion and awe filled with reverence. In the Bhagavad Gita, that holy book, we have an image-filled description in the conversation between Krishna and Arjuna to the effect that we should fulfill our prescribed duties and yet keep awake a feeling for the work of God in our souls. This is not pointed out in this way in any other holy book nor in any Christian book, as it is in this lofty song. Krishna says there, quote, you should be a fighter or a priest or a merchant and so forth, according to which caste you may belong, and you should carry out your tasks conscientiously, for your destiny has placed you in your work. Nevertheless, you with your eye, yourself, should stand above your work and feel yourself united with the divine. There is a third expression that results from the feeling that we must acquire when we are clear about the fact that forces stream into us from all of the universe, that we have our head from here, our members from there, all our organs from various places, and we also use them as directed and maintained from those places. We express this in the mantric words, it weaves me. And we should think and say this only with a profound feeling of gratitude. Thus, it is thinking me with piety. It is creating me with devotion and awed reverence. It is weaving me with gratitude. This feeling of gratitude we can still increase and support if when we return to our physical bodies in the morning, we say to ourselves, quote, I am returning to something that I have not woven for myself. I could not immerse myself in consciousness from an unconscious state unless you, O Spirit of the Father, had created this body for me, and I thank you for it with the greatest awe-filled reverence, Close quote. We can carry out our meditations in such a way that we get the feeling, I am not thinking them, but rather it is thinking me. Just as between birth and death we plunge into our bodies in the morning in order to acquire consciousness, so too at death we must plunge into something in order to acquire consciousness, and that is Christ. This is said to us in the verse Ex Deo Nasimur. Mornings we are immersed into our bodies by the Spirit of the Father. In Christo Morimur. At the gate of death we must be immersed into the Spirit of Christ. Per Spiritum Sanctum Revivissimus. In order to awaken in the Holy Spirit. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Berlin, December 16, 1912. Record A, manuscript from Matilda Scholl. Record B, manuscript from Alice Kinkle. Record A.
In no other time has the battle against esoteric striving been as strong as it is now. Indeed, the battle against it was carried out in the past with fire and blood, but the battle was never as fierce as today. The brothers and sisters can contribute much to ameliorate this battle, which has been brought forth only by envy. You can do much if you speak of me not as a leader, as often happens at every opportunity. In your hearts, of course, you can have the certainty and know where you stand, but outwardly you should not speak of this matter. In human life we can observe a certain periodicity, just as we perceive a periodicity in the outer world. For example, we have here a fact, an event in life. This event passes. Then a period of time passes and this event is repeated. We can see in this diagram before us that the circles become larger every time. In the ordinary lives of human beings, we can observe that people attempt to overcome ambition and vanity, laziness and love of comfort. In ordinary life, we can already have achieved a certain victory over these faults, and then we advance a while further in life. Then all at once, after we have undergone an esoteric development for a time, these faults stand before us anew, and as we can see from the diagram, to a much greater extent than before. Now we can attempt to overcome these faults again, until they come at us again in increasingly intense forms. We could also remain standing where we are, not overcome them, but then we would bring this vanity and so forth into esoteric life as a poison. A good means of overcoming these faults is the threefold power. When we get up in the morning, when the eye and astral body slip again into the etheric body and physical body, our consciousness arises through the shock that accompanies this immersion. Without the etheric and physical bodies, there would be no consciousness present in this world. These two parts that we need for consciousness do not actually belong to us. We inherited them from our ancestors. Thus the thought can also occur to us when awakening that these parts that we have received as a gift could also one day be torn away from us. From this we can understand the words that the wise men and women always spoke in the morning. Quote, I thank you, God, for making it possible for me to awaken again, and so forth. The Father God is the one who makes it possible for us to immerse ourselves in the morning into our physical bodies again. We have a power through speaking aloud the words, quote, It weaves me, close quote, that allows us to feel this immersion into the physical body with gratitude. We have a very powerful mantra in these words. A great feeling of thankfulness must fill us with these words. It weaves me. Every time we speak them, we have a great source of power. But they should not be spoken by anyone who cannot produce within him or herself a great feeling of thankfulness. Our first thought when we awaken every morning is a prayer of thankfulness to the Father God, who makes it possible for us to return to our physical bodies. But we still have more. When we have one life behind us, 
then something will encounter us in the spiritual world. Something different confronted us in the pre-Christian ages than in the time since Christ. This changed with time. Consciousness arises through the fact that a shock is experienced when we slip back into the physical body after being asleep. After death we do not have a physical body, and the I today, without this, still no consciousness. However, what maintains a consciousness for the I is the power of the Son, S-O-N, whom we can encounter in the spiritual world after death. Here, too, we have a powerful mantra. It is, it creates me, parenthesis, it works in me to bring me into existence, close parenthesis. We should speak this with devotion and reverence and thus maintain our consciousness between death and a new life. But then it must also happen that we go over into spiritual worlds, that we wake again through the Holy Spirit who leads us over. And here we have the mantra, It thinks me. This must be spoken with great piety. Thus we have hope, love and faith. The threefold love will then awaken in the human being, love for the truth, love of life, and the love of creating. We frequently encounter the love of the truth, love of life we encounter less often. Love of life will give every human being the proper attitude and placement with respect to other human beings. How can we love life rightly without loving other people? But surrendering to someone in everything out of passion does not mean that one is loving life. Love of life exists only when we do not allow injustice to persist out of our kindness. Sometimes out of love we must not give in to everything. The third love, now this is very hard to find, the love of creating. We should love all making, doing and creating. And how much do human beings turn against all that is creative. For example, when people find it a waste of time to create rooms such as these, which now surround us, thus they are opposed to creative love. What is it that hinders us in our love for truth? That is vanity. Who can still be vain who cultivates the love of truth? We must increasingly cultivate the love of truth. Through our love of life we develop compassion and the ability to empathize with all life. Egotism is melted by this love. Those who have the right love of life cannot abide in egotism. Love of making and creating, of what is creative, does away with all laziness, all love of comfort. Thus we can say, quote, I love the truth, I love life, I love what is creative, close quote. We can say, quote, I love the truth through the Father who weaves in me. I love what is alive through the Son, S-O-N, who works in me. I love what is creative that thinks in me through the Holy Spirit, close quote. Or we can say, quote, we are born in God the Father. We die in Christ. And through the Holy Spirit we will again resurrect, close quote. Ex Deo nascimur, in Christo morimur per spiritum sanctum revivissimus. We are born into this physical body through the Spirit of the Father. Through the Son we die, and the Holy Spirit gives us the certainty of resurrection.
And so we now wish to speak the words that have been given us out of the truth. Quote, in the spirit lay the seed of my body. Close quote. End of record A. Record B. The law of periodicity or movement in circles concerning ambition and vanity, love of comfort and laziness. The law of periodicity or movement in circles exists for the larger world and is determinative also for human beings. Today we wish to speak of four traits that are to be found more or less in every human being, ambition, vanity, love of comfort and laziness. These traits appear periodically and indeed each successive time with greater intensity and must be battled again and again. It can happen that someone has defeated these traits for a time, has also worked very well esoterically for a period of time, and has also advanced. Now one thinks that he or she has overcome ambition and vanity, love of comfort and laziness, but then they suddenly appear again with increased power. The law of periodicity takes over. Now it is necessary to assert oneself over them with even greater strength. We must unceasingly watch over our soul. And this can happen successfully only if we take into ourselves an aspect of the Godhead or the Divine Trinity. These are the three aspects, the impulse from the Father God, the Son God, and the Holy Spirit. Thus we have as the principle of the Father all that is creative, all that makes and does, all that has to do with waking and sleeping, falling asleep and waking up, Upon waking we are dealing with what we find before us, what the principle of the Father has given us. That is our physical and etheric bodies, and the fact that we become conscious within them when we are immersed in them upon awakening. The principle of the Son is the principle of life. It is connected with life and death. The impulse of the Holy Spirit is the impulse of truth and expresses itself in bracket missing in the German, close bracket. Thus we have the threefold love expressed in the three aspects of God. Number one, the love of truth. Those who have it, in them the Holy Spirit lives. Number two, the love of all that is alive, compassion for all that lives. This is the principle of the Son. Number three, love for what is creative, in the Father. This principle is the least well-developed in humanity, and it must be said that all hatred and enmity comes from the fact that this principle is the most distant from human beings. Three mantras are given for use. It weaves me. It creates me. It thinks me. It thinks me. This is my angel in me. It weaves me. The spirits of movement create us. It creates me. The spirits of will send their forces down to us. We should say the first mantra like a prayer upon awakening. It weaves me. In these words the principle of the Father is living for us. These words can fill us with a feeling of gratitude. It creates me, the principle of the Son. The feeling for this is reverence and devotion. It thinks me, the Holy Spirit. This feeling of piety should permeate us here. 
ex Deonasimur in Christo Mormur, ter Spiritum Sanctum Revivissimus. Number one, lazy and comfortable means that we do not love the creative principle. Number two, being egotistical means to lack love toward the life of the Son. Number three, not loving the truth means not loving the principle of the Holy Spirit. The I dies in the spiritual world when we go through death. But if we immerse ourselves in the spiritual world in the Christ, then we will awaken in the Holy Spirit. Thus the primal prayer of humanity is our Rosicrucian verse, Ex Deonasimur, in Christo Morimur, per Spiritum Sanctum Revivissimus. The end of that esoteric lesson. And this is an esoteric lesson given in Zurich on December 17, 1912. It is the end of the book here. Manuscript from Alice Kinkle. If we want to practice meditation, then we must command ourselves to exclude everything from our thoughts and allow only the content of the meditation itself within our minds, our souls. Thereafter, calmness of soul should rule. Emptiness must enter our souls. Then we wait to see if something flows into our souls from the spiritual world. Wait with patience and endurance then perhaps we will have the experience that feels like absent-mindedness, an experience like a dream that rushes past. We then have the feeling, quote, something is thinking in me, close quote. Quote, an angel touched me, close quote. Quote, I lift myself into his kingdom, close quote. As we relate to our thoughts, so an angel relates to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not think as we do, but thinks rather in such a way that dispatches the angels through the world. Such an experience is the first step into the spiritual world, and one should pay attention to it. It thinks me. One should feel and experience with religious devotion. Now, we can further raise ourselves to what weaves through the world and enlivens the world as the divine principle what we think in our existence. Here we have an experience like it weaves me. We thereby touch the edge of the skirt of beings whom we call the spirits of movement, dunamis. Already in ordinary life, we must immerse ourselves in something, we must bump against something in order to develop consciousness. We push against our physical bodies and awaken. After death we also push against something, against the substance of Christ. We must awaken in it. We must be immersed in it to acquire consciousness in the spiritual world, in order not to spend our time there asleep. However, having consciousness does not yet mean having eye-consciousness, consciousness of self. We also have consciousness with the experience that something thought in us but only when we remember what we have experienced, that something in us has thought, do we connect the experience with ourselves. In this way, in death we lose the self, the I. As souls we plunge down dead in order to find ourselves and gradually become conscious in the substance of Christ. Here we come to lofty beings that are foreboding to us, we characterize them as thrones, powers of will. Here the mantra is, 
It creates me. Parenthesis, it works in me to bring me into existence. Close parenthesis. The feeling in doing so is devotion and reverence. When we have a clear moment in the spiritual world, we look down upon our body there below, but already a higher stage of seeing is required if we are to see it as in a mirror. At the start of such experiences, we see in a picture a coffin and a human being in it, or a bathtub filled with hot water, or we are standing in front of a door that does not open. All of these represent in pictures the physical body that will not let us in. When we experience this picture, we are looking at our physical body there below, as we are born out of the divine spiritual world. Then we can express this in the words ex Deo Nasimur. If we imagine how we are immersed in the substance of Christ in order to die, then this is expressed in Christo Morimur. How we again rise up out of the rippling water and float in a delicate, fine body in the spiritual world is expressed per spiritum sanctum revivissimus, the end of that exoteric lesson and the end of the book, volume 266, volume 2 of uh, Esoteric Lessons 1910-1912 to by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines.